0: Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Well, good morning. How are we? A little bit warm? We want you to be comfortable as you sleep, okay? It's our primary commitment. All right, with the show of hands, how many Bear fans are in the house? Okay, okay, okay. A little bit reluctant on acknowledging that. Uh, all right. I thought I'd put together an acrostic sermon for you today. And um, instead... I stumbled upon full of grace and truth in the Gospel of John. Turn there with me if you would please. Chapter 1. I thought maybe we'd do something like victorious, overcomers, triumphant, and excellent uh, vote. V-O-T-E. That sounded a little corny to me. So I thought maybe pray, P-R-A-Y, petition, request, ask, yield. But nah, that that didn't work at all. And so I'm working today on John chapter 1 as the beginning of the message. I have so many things to say by way of preliminary thought before we get into our two big words for today, which are sacrifice and atonement. We need God's grace. We need his help. We need his favor. We need his provision. As we come into his presence today, we continue to worship, and we look to Christ our Lord alone as our source of hope and help. He is worthy of praise. Uh, I I want to say two things about last week. I'm going to pick on our pastors a little bit today in this message. Not a lot. Just a little. Just the right amount. <laughs> mentioned John Wesley saying God does nothing except in answer to prayer last week. That's a great quote. Also in reference to our stewardship I love what John Wesley said. He said, earn all you can save all you can and give all you can. Molly brought a word from the Lord last week on my word is a hammer out of Jeremiah and I have a very succinct statement regarding this. If your ministry is a hammer, everyone and everything is a nail. (laughs) You're looking for something somewhere, someway, somehow. We learn to pray by praying. We learn to preach by preaching. We learn to pastor by pastoring. And today we're going to look at John chapter 1. The word became flesh and for a moment in time dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm going to ask God to fill you up this morning with His grace, with His truth. John testified about Him and called out saying, this was He of whom I said He, he who is coming after me has proved to be my superior because He existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You know the passage of scripture from Hebrews that says, let's come boldly in front of the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in the nick of time. God's timing is great. His grace is amazing and wonderful. And so the first question that I'd like to ask today is, what is the nature of true worship? And I'd like to camp there for a moment, because that's what we're all about. We're here to worship God, and we've experienced a tremendous time already so far. Real worship is Christ-centered, focused on the person and the work of Christ. Worship is front and center of who we are and what we do. I love the quote by Abraham Kuyper that says, There is not one square inch in all creation that God does not put his finger on and declare, this is mine. Oh, it takes so much pressure off you if you realize that God's in control of everything. This is not a warm-up. The songs that we sing isn't getting us ready for receiving the Word. Worship is what we're made for. We were created to worship, and I'll have more to say about that in a moment. There is no worship without an altar. And there's no altar without sacrifice. There's no sacrifice where there is no altar, and there's no sacrifice without cost. It would be impossible, unthinkable, unimaginable, in the Old Testament, for someone to come empty handed before God Almighty. From the beginning, Adam and Eve experienced sacrifice, providing covering. Cain and Abel had offerings. Abraham was known as the great altar builder. Go and travel through chapter 12 and 13, on through to his intercession for his nephew Lot, on into Abraham, and his son, Isaac. Moses received the law on twin tablets. He battled idolatry, and he took a stubborn, stiff-necked people, at least to the edge of the promised land. This is all worship and journey. The list goes on, and could include some of my favorites, Samuel, and David, and Solomon, On up to and including the time of Christ who brought the offering to completion on his death on the cross. Let me take a few moments this morning and just kind of tease out this idea of worship. Can you bear with me? And you'll, you'll see the tie as it connects with sacrifice and atonement in a moment. Our primary motivation for worship is one simple fact. God is worthy. He's worthy of all our praise, all glory, all honor. And the benefits of worship are delight in knowing that you were created to be a worshiper. We don't worship for selfish reasons. God in his goodness is so designed worship to build up the work for, for service. And in the process, we give him glory and adoration. And we gain so much in return. Worship is a wonderful experience. And we're welcomed into it. To gain an audience with God Almighty, imagine. We don't have to wail. We don't have to cut ourselves like prophets of Baal. God invites us into his presence to dine with him, to eat a meal, to sit down, to relax. And In Near Eastern culture, a meal took four to five, six hours. They simply sat back and enjoyed the presence. Being in God's presence, once you've tasted it, you long for more. You can't wait to lay hold of what Christ has laid hold of you for. A.W. Tozer pastored a church not far from here in the Chicagoland area, and he wrote a little booklet titled Worship, the Missing Jewel of the Evangelical Church. In it, he said, and let me give you the quote, The purpose of God in sending His Son to die and rise and live and to be at the right hand of God the Father was that He might restore to us the missing jewel, the jewel of worship, that we might come back and learn to do again that which we were created to do in the first place, worship in the beauty of holiness, to spend our time in awesome wonder and adoration of God feeling and expressing it. We're here to be worshipers first and workers second or witnesses second. That all flows out of worship. There is no altar without sacrifice. There is no worship without service. Work flows out of worship. Work not flowing out of worship is like a cut flower. It's soon to shrivel, wither, and die. God created us for the express purpose of worship. There's no need in God. He doesn't need anything from us. But the primary reason that he made us was to love him. With radical abandonment, heart, soul, mind, body, strength. All that we are, all that we have surrendered to him. God created angels. They could serve him perfectly, more perfectly than we ever could. But he made us in his image that we might have the capacity to know him. Now that's a heavy statement right there. And I'm just going to leave that one set for now. The most God-like thing in the universe is for you to come to know and to realize and worship the God who is. The God who was. The God who evermore shall be. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second commandment is like unto this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's where it gets down to brass tacks. Genuine worship requires a level of commitment. The psalmist gives us an effective progression when he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Everything in our lives is transformed in and by and through worship. When we render thanksgiving and praise and worship, it becomes a part of our godly, pleasing lifestyle. I wish I could implant within you this morning this one single truth. In your passionate pursuit for the presence of God, He will place within you a capacity that longs to please Him. That's a change in our natural tendency. Thanksgiving and praise leads into worship before his presence, bordering on the excessive exuberance that some people look at you and say, you're out of your mind. (laughs) You're crazy in worship. The scope of worship can be wide or narrow. It's marked by intimacy and closeness. It's never void of thanksgiving. The scope of worship is wide. Paul said these words, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You can wash dishes to the glory of God. You can do laundry to the glory of God. Anything and everything you do, instead of complaining, try making it a matter of prayer. Uh Uh-oh, I'm sorry. Worship involves intense times of personal, relational development. In the course of life, it must be that worship becomes a lifestyle commitment. Times of devotion, seasons of intimacy, focused communion on the person and the work of Christ. We don't settle for just living for Jesus. We find ourselves abandoned to Jesus. Revelation 3.20, we often use as an invitation for people to come to faith in Christ, but really, it's an invitation. You know it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. I'll have fellowship. In our worship, we seek to nurture an atmosphere, to build a culture. Here's my picking on Kevin. Where did he come up with this phrase, marinated in the milieu of culture? (laughs) (laughs) Wherever you found it, I want to know. It's great. But we're building a culture to provide an avenue whereby people encounter the living God. That's what we're doing here at Thrive. Times at the altar are important as we give opportunity to do what needs to be done at an altar. And this is where the next shift comes in. At the altar, we confess. We make a confession. That, That word means to say the same thing that God says about us. To be in agreement with him. So my question today is how do we find and sustain An active flow of the spirit that nurtures spiritual life, growth, and development. What's the secret to this? I believe it's realizing who we are, what we were made for. We learn what it is to worship and display ourselves as worshipers before God alone. He is the center and focus of our concentration. We learn a bit by one simple task. Take up your cross and follow me. Oh, what's the first part of that though? Deny yourself. Denial of self means you embrace the cross that has been chosen just for you. We surrender and listen to the voice of God. We yield and walk forward in faith in the Holy Spirit. Worship is never devoid of sacrifice. It'll cost you something to worship. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you effort. It'll cost you commitment. Yes, worship is costly. The word sacrifice and its cognates are found over 300 times in Scripture offer, offering, offerings well over a thousand times in scripture altar or altars is found nearly 500 times I could give you all sorts of um, background and, and details but I want to move instead to the centrality of the atonement a definition of what it means and it does mean at one meant. It means that which was formerly at enmity against each other is now brought together in unity. As we move now to define the second big word, the first one being sacrifice, now we encounter the word that exactly means what it says. It's kafar, a great word in the Hebrew text, meaning a covering pointing to this box that had two cherubim with angel wings pointing forward and their head down and this four-inch thick solid gold place called the mercy seat. Where only one priest, the high priest, once a year around October 10th, was able to gain access into the place called the Holy of Holies. And such a fearful place this was, later the priest would have a rope tied to his ankle. And if he was delayed in coming up, they drug him out feet first. (laughs) That's how serious this was. This kafar was a place of sacrifice that provided um, oh, Some people argue whether we should use the word propitiation or expiation. I don't want to get into all that detail. You can go read Leon Morris and Gustav Aulin on your own, okay? Would you be all right with that? Basically, all these words, and they're found throughout... The New Testament as well, tremendous words. Halaskomia, halaskan, all the words about the place of dealing with our deepest need. All these words and others mean the procedure by which moral and legal reparation is accomplished for some fault, injury, or sin. This is the full, complete, and accomplished work of Christ on the cross that brought back again the two that had been divided. Christ died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. Let me just cut to the chase. That's what atonement means. And I know we could talk about wrath being appeased and warrant satisfied and God propitiated and mankind reconciled. But the guilt of human sin needs to be dealt with and taken away in a positive relationship between God and humanity restored. We concern ourselves not with the various theories of atonement. Please, we're in a church. We're not in a lecture hall. I don't need to talk about the Latin penal theory or the mystical theory or the ransom theory or the governmental theory or moral influence or satisfaction theory. The biblical orthodox view is atonement speaks of sacrifice, and Christ took our place. He took away our guilt and penalty, and he ameliorates or satisfies the wrath of God. I remember a long time ago, I memorized this just... I don't know why. It came right out of a theology book. I'm sure it was Thesan. It's the appeasement of the righteous wrath of a holy potentate by an acceptable atoning sacrifice. There, you got it. Okay? This fits perfectly in the category known as legal satisfaction. God's attribute of justice is satisfied. Atonement through the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit makes our salvation complete, clear, finished, final. It is the work of the cross. The death of Christ establishes not the possibility but the certainty that we are born again. Based on the work of Christ, let us finally conclude by listening to the wind words of the Spirit. That's that Eugene Peterson line right there. I love it. And so we turn to Romans chapter 12. And this is the wrapping up of the message. It's application for Transformation. I memorized this in the King James, but we'll look at the New American Standard. Therefore, I urge you. The literal rendering is I beg you. I plead with you. Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. I love the definition of grace. is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. It's the mercies of God to present like you're surrendering your arms. It's a military term. I'm laying down my weapons. I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices. You know the trouble of a living sacrifice. They keep crawling off the altar. That's your body. And soon we'll be looking at how we're identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to live a transformed life. Ah, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. I love that term. It literally means this is your liturgy, your work of liturgy. This is what you do. It's your logical, reasonable act of service. This isn't anything beyond you. You can expect That this scripture is going to transform your life. Because, here's picking on Molly. Here's the deal. (laughs) I love it. I counted last week, it was only twice. (laughs) Do not be conformed. That word literally means to be squeezed into the mold of. Don't let the world dictate to you how you vote on Tuesday. Ask God. Don't be conformed as though there's no distinction between a believer and an unbeliever. They should see something in you that is a demarcation that you are under new ownership. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing, not the removing, the renewing of your mind. God wants to sanctify your thoughts. We present ourselves to God. We think and act differently so that we may prove, we may approve of. What the will of God is, that good, acceptable, and perfect, that's where you want to be. I want you to worship and serve and witness and believe and ignite and activate and grow and engage and gather all under the direct influence of the Holy Spirit. Next verse, to draw to a conclusion here today. I got John Wesley for some reason stirring around in my spirit. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. Oh, he was a good songwriter. Not too good at marriage, but good. (laughs) (laughs) Just one story. I've heard it said that somebody found... Uh, John Wesley on the floor one day after his wife had grabbed a hold of his hair, because they wore their hair long in those days, and she drug him across the living room floor. Uh, it was not a happy marriage. Uh I think she was also the one, I hate to be telling tales on School, But uh, he, of course, was not allowed to preach in the Anglican church anymore. So they would gather out in the fields, and there would be literally crowds of thousands. And uh, she would throw a brick at him. (laughs) (laughs) She and others. Uh, I like John Wesley. He he thought, I I, I probably have lost the anointing. I I think I've... I think I've stepped out of God's will for a moment. Nobody has thrown an egg at me or a rock or a stone uh, for at least two weeks. I must be backslidden. I better get back into prayer. <laughs> Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Now that doesn't mean just a one-time act in the past over finished and done. Because Paul said it this way. I die daily. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. How's the life that you live in the flesh? Are you dead to sin? Are you alive forever in Christ? Together, I pray we'll learn the joy of sacrifice. You're not that much anyway, so give yourself away. (laughs) Give it all away. You don't have much. Let the Lord have it. He'll make of you something far beyond what you could possibly imagine. And when you're crucified with Him, you're identified in baptism, you're saved, you're going to heaven. And the Lord has made a way for you. And he longs for you to be in his presence. Father, I thank you for a few thoughts on sacrifice and atonement. Thank you for covering and cleansing and renewing and restoring. Thank you for the great blessing that we have in knowing you and being able to share the kingdom life that we so enjoy with so many that we come into contact with. I pray our light would shine so that men may see our good works and glorify our Father. I thank you for all the good things that you have deposited within each one of us. In Christ's name, amen.